Welcome to the Bruce Bright Breakdown. My name is Dr. Bruce Bright. I'm a Marine fighter pilot, retired, did uh, 28 years in the Marine Corps. Following that, went to school, got my doctorate in psychology, and now a coach. What we're going to do on the Bruce Bright Breakdown is we're going to break down each guest as they bring in their topic. So we're going to get to the Bruce Bright Breakdown each and every week. I hope you join us. It's going to be fun, exciting, informative, and I think you'll love it. So join us right here on the Bruce Bright Breakdown. Hey guys, welcome to the Bruce Bright Breakdown. I've got with me Mr. David Oakley, real good friend of mine. I'll put that disclosure out there. Family man, businessman, and it's quite the story you're getting ready to hear of how he went from school and having nothing to where he is today, which is, um, I won't reveal where that is because I want that to be part of the story. So David, welcome to the Bruce Bright Breakdown. Thank you so much for your time. Well, this is going to be like, it's going to be a multifold story here because I want the the listeners to hear this entrepreneur story. There's a lot of people out there that are interested in being an entrepreneur, but they don't don't really know what it means. They don't know the risk that it takes. And I want them to tell what what I want them to hear in the beginning here is your story, but also how you make decisions. Like when, when you come to these forks in the road, how did you choose which way to go? I've heard you speak many times, especially in front of potential customers or or business partners. So I've got a, I've got a really good flavor of how you operate, and I love it. I think it, I, I think your bread and butter is not being smart in real estate. Your bread and butter is you're a good dude. I do think that's the biggest reason you're successful because there's a lot of people that are smart. I mean, I can you want somebody that's smart in real estate, smart in multifamily real estate. I can find that for you. I give you a laundry list of them. But if you also throw on top of their good people, people that are in charge of themselves, their energy, their emotions, people that take care of other people, you know, I've heard you say this more than once. It's not just about the money. I mean, we all want to make some money. I think we're, you know, we're all pro, uh, for profit here. But I've heard you say more than once, man, this, this ain't all, all about the money. I'm, I remember I met with uh, a group of potential clients where uh, David was going to put some for rent, uh, you know, build to rent beautiful, beautiful homes on some property. And we met with the neighborhood, I guess, some, some kind of neighborhood group. The plan was to try to convince them, you know, let's, let's convince you guys that this, this would be good for their neighborhood. And I was expecting David to go in there and kind of sell it financially. And that's not at all what he did. When you remember, you remember you went in there and said, hey, this is not about the money. This is about us creating an environment that makes your families and you know community better, bringing in new new young folks that can bring new jobs and uh, so I was, just, I was just really impressed the way that you um, you way you went about that meeting, and that's not the only one. So I'm going to hand it over to you. Let's let's go back as far as you're willing to go, and tell us how you got started. So, so I was vacuuming cars, and and then that led to you know another entrepreneurial desire, and and that was you know, cut grass. So I cut my yard at my mom's, and then that led to you know the idea of let me cut my neighbor's yard, and then I did a good job, and it became you know, Hey, will you cut my yard, David? And so all of a sudden I was, I was slowly creating a yard company and, and I'll never forget, I wanted to scale and get a bigger mower. So I remember calling dad after I found this uh, MTD at the time, I thought it was you know, high end, uh, high end mower at Walmart um, out there in the sort of the, the lawn and garden section. And Wanted it so bad and called dad and said, Hey, can you help me buy this? And he said, No, I just, I'm not, I don't have the means right now to do that. So I learned about this awesome program called Layaway. You guys have heard of Layaway. Some of you guys <laughs> yeah. have heard of Layaway. Oh, yeah. And I mean, that's when my, and so that, I mean, that was just like unbelievable. You know, thank you, Sam Walton, for allowing me to 
to use layaway because that really catapulted my my yard business. And you know, getting into junior high and high school, you know, my my soccer buddies and my football buddies, you know, they'd, they'd come work for me for six bucks an hour, and all of a sudden, you know, I turned sixteen and I got a car. And by the way, the car that I got was um, a Jeep Cherokee, older Jeep Cherokee with one hundred sixty-one thousand miles on it. Great car, inline six cylinder. Never forget it. Great car. That's a good starter car. Yeah, it's a great starter car. And Dad said, you know, that this is it. I mean, you're, you, he bought my brother and I both uh, our first car and, and said, this is it. You know, you're on your own after this one. And so I worked my way up to uh, buying a, a trailer. I went and got that new lawnmower. And, and pretty soon I was in business. I was I had wheels. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, then I was jumping neighborhoods. And I'll never forget using Microsoft Word art to create my first flyers to put in mailboxes. And uh, so, so at an early age, you know, I was vacuuming cars and, and doing yard work and, you know, balancing my uh, sports, you know, with high school and travel soccer and things like that. And I just, I, I loved making my own money, you know. I, How old were you when the vacuuming started? I was literally like six, seven years old. My mom has pictures of me inside of some of her friends' cars. And literally I was, you know, I, I was, yeah, I was probably probably wore a size, you know, four or five shoe. I yeah, mean, I, was, I was small. Yeah, you got me beat. I started at eleven. I was eleven years old when I first started. Bruce Junior, the producer of this show, just came in and into the studio and smiled because he owns a detailing business now. That's what he does full time. He graduated and he has bright little detailing. But before that, he also cut grass. Kind of the he was just smiling, going, "I, I love this guy." But you know, for those potential entrepreneurs out there. I want them to start seeing how you think at starting at age six. You're at age six, you decided that you could make more money working for yourself than well, at age six, you can't get a job. But uh, you know, that and then the lawn business, of course, you when you were doing the lawn business, you said you're driving, so you're at least sixteen. Uh right. you could have got you could have got a job at, you know, a fast food place or something like that. But you had this entrepreneurial spirit, and you know, you know I'm gonna work for myself, I'm gonna make more money, I'm gonna control my time. Mm-hmm. And those decisions that, you know. Starting at six and now sixteen, and then how long were you in this this lawn business? So I ran the we ran the lawn business, um, you know, up until you know I graduated and went off to Birmingham uh, to Sanford University. Uh, and, and I will tell you this: people sometimes will ask me, you know, wh- when did you learn about real estate? Like, wh- when, when did you when did the light bulb go off? Well, I was cutting a yard in the neighborhood, and there was a guy there who had a house, and it was a rental home. And, and I always wondered, like, what, what, what does that mean? You know, why am I cutting the yard? And th- these people that live here don't even own the house. Like, I don't understand that. You know, and mm-hmm. so I started asking questions. And then I, I figured out what rent meant. And then I figured out how this guy made money. And, and then one summer, I got a job at a bank because um, I, I tried to buy a rental house my junior year of high school. It was $18,000, kind of a Spanish stucco house about a mile down the road from, from our neighborhood. And I went to the bank, try to get a loan. They said, I'm sorry, I can't, we can't give you a loan. You know, I wasn't reporting income. I was, you know, a guy, a young guy making cash on cutting yards. And mm-hmm. so I didn't have any income to report. And so they, they declined me on that loan. So then I decided to be smart, go get a, a job at that bank. And I became a teller at that bank. <laughs> and uh, on the inside. Got on the inside. And then once I got in there, I went to the corner office, you know, and on, at that particular branch, the branch manager. I said, hey, can I get a loan for this house? I'm going to buy a house to rent. And they said, no, they declined me. So, you know, 
I was hungry at a young age in high school to, to buy a rental property. It wasn't until I went to Sanford University, studied accounting and, and did an internship um, with Harvard where a lot of the light bulbs went off for me and, and where I learned um, quite a bit about real estate and, and particularly multifamily um, at that during that internship in the summer of 2002. And, and then, you know, my, my first home that I actually purchased was my first rental house that I lived in with some fraternity brothers, 907 Columbiana Road in Homewood. So you I owned a, it and you rented rooms out to your fraternity brothers. That's right. Yeah. And I went to the bank and I got a 103% loan to value loan. What that means is, is that actually covered closing cost. Wow. So that's how that's I like got started. That's, like, that's like a VA loan. Yeah. That was Almost. in 2000 and uh, that was 2003 or four. And, and how old were you then? That was so that would have been college. Um, 20, 22, 23, 22, 23. Okay. Awesome. You know, I've got another friend who said this is this is his entrepreneurial thinking. He had a a, a commercial law business, so but it was like big time. He's a grown man. Well, not that you weren't a grown man at 18, but you know, he was an older guy. And his first entry into real estate, he was cutting the grass at an apartment complex. And he went in to collect the check for the for grass cutting, and there was a sign that said apartment complex for, for sale. And he went and got him a, a financer. Uh, it was a family member and that was his mm-hmm. first deal. So good. All right. So we've gone from vacuuming cars to cutting grass. And now we've bought our first property and we're, we're, we're in business. We're in the real estate business because you're making money on it or at least paying down your debt with your, with your friend's money. What happened next? Yeah. And so, you know, and I, and I would say, uh, just to touch on one thing at Sanford, you know, I, I got a scholarship to Sanford. I was really wasn't sure I wanted to go there. But when I got that letter in the mail that said, you know, you're you're pretty much getting a full ride here. My parents said, that's where you're going. That made the decision easier. It made the decision easier, but also harder um, just because I wasn't really sure about going to a private school when I'd been in public school, you know, the public school system my entire life. But when I got there, I met a lot of great friends, uh, joined a fraternity at Sigma Nu, and I met what I loved about Sanford was a small classroom uh, setup where, you know, really it's like one to 20, you know, professors, yeah. about you know, 15, 20 students. And I got to know my professors and asked a lot of questions. Like I said, I studied accounting, and, but, I, but I knew deep down that I didn't want to be an accountant. It was just, it was either business management or accounting you had two options in the business school there wasn't real estate there wasn't uh, finance economics it was business management or accounting and so i picked accounting and um the light bulbs went off for me with this internship at harvard depreciation appreciation cash flow uh what what it means to be an investor but even better than that i had a professor that really taught me the real definition of passion like what does that really mean because i really didn't know and so when I really learned what I was passionate about, or at least thought I knew what I was passionate about, that really helped me. Yeah, that was a guiding principle for me in future decisions. Yeah. You know, I thought about law school just because it seemed safe, you know, and I had a basketball coach in, in high school that was a lawyer full time and wore a pinstripe suit. And he looked great in his black BMW. And I was like, I want to be that guy. Like, yeah. Like what he's got. Yeah. And, uh, but, but I was wrong. I mean, I, I was, that was a trick and that was not the real world. And in fact, that's, it's funny because that same guy called me 
about two years ago and said, hey, David, I'm selling my law firm and the, and the building. I was, I'm curious if you want to buy the building. So that was a, a complete 360. Pretty neat. Uh, Mr. Yeah. Bunch, a cool guy from Florence. But, you know, uh, studied, studied accounting, did, did, you know, ended up doing this internship, rolled through, you know, Harvard, and then Harvard sold the company to Rock Apartment Advisors. I did a short stint with PricewaterhouseCooper uh, that summer of 2003. Hated it, uh, just to be honest. I was doing audit, and I was in the attic of Tuskegee College with no air conditioner, and people just can't, they, they give you harsh looks when you're, when you're the auditor looking over their work. It just yeah. was, did you're not meet my personality. Yeah. yeah, you're the you're the you're the numbers police. And so I quickly grabbed the opportunity to go back to to the real estate shop that had spun out of Harvard, which was then Har- uh, Rock Apartment Advisors, and that was the fall of 2003. And there, I, I was given the job of a broker. So I was making forty thousand dollars a year. I had a computer, cell phone, with like a Zach Morris phone, and. I bought my first house, had my roommates. I was, I was going, man. I mean, I was, yeah. I was slinging deals, having fun, talking to people from all over the country and uh, selling these little apartment deals on Birmingham's South side, you know, from I 65 all the way over to Avondale park. Right. But you were selling them for somebody else. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I was selling You're them broken. for somebody else, making a fee, you know, yep. That's right. but the, and the, the fee would go to, to corporate. And I would get my salary of 40000 and I did my job, and that was it. You know, it didn't, it didn't matter if I sold $100 million in real estate or, or $100,000 in real estate. I got the same take home. Yeah, so let me just let me jump in here for a second. For any, anybody out there that's contemplating going down entrepreneurial road, uh, it's a two-edged sword. Because if you don't go out and kill it and bring it home, your family will not eat. But if you go out there and kill it, bring it home, your family gets all of it, uh, all of it minus what you pay your employees or pay your partners. But, you know, like today in, in the in your current position at the Oakley Group, I'm willing to bet that if you make a hundred grand or you make a million, there's a different amount of money that you bring home. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So I, and, I was there and I did that gig, you know, for uh, three or four years and you know, I started, I went to go see a mentor once and his name was Tom Hinton and Tom's still around still a great friend and mentor. And I went down to visit him. He goes, Oakley, how much are you bringing in for this company? And I said, you know, I mean, I've been bringing in about a million dollars a year the last you know year or two. And he goes, well, how much are you making? And at that point, I had gone from 40 up to a hundred, up to a hundred thousand. Okay. You know, I had moved up and gotten some promotions and, and he goes, well, son, that's a that's a ninety ten split in mm-hmm. markets fifty fifty. Um, so you're you're actually worth more like five hundred a year. You know, if, if you're going by market standards, I go, no way. That's, that's more than my mom and dad make combined. Like that's crazy. You know, I, I, that's way above my head. And he goes, no, you're wrong. And so he encouraged me to to leave and start my own company. And he pointed to a building right outside of his window on Cobb Lane. And so that's the building. You need to buy it, start your business there, and you can come over here and use my copy machine, my fax machine. I know you can laugh at that. Fax no, machine. that's hey, that's that shows what a true friend is. You know, here's a buddy you've had for a long time, and he's looking out for your best interest. So the Oakley Group was born January seventh, two thousand seven. I broke up with a girlfriend. I worked, you know, twelve hour days. Starbucks was my friend in Five Point South. 
you know, we also started Select My Space that same day, and that's another S Corp. And that was a, an apartment rental, you know, leasing service company. And so there we, we were off to the races. And um, that was a lot of fun. You know, people donated furniture to me uh, because we couldn't afford furniture. Uh, I put everything I had into that office building and into the business. At that point, at that point, were you solo or did you have a partner? I was solo. I was solo. Okay. And then I, and then I brought on people. I hired a lot of friends. My brother came on. And so we built two businesses from, from that point forward. And I ended up selling select my space. I think it was around uh, 2012, 13. We sold select my space. It was a good business. You know, we, we would show people apartments. That, that we did not own. And we, if we leased those apartments, we would get a full month's rent Wow, as a fee. That's a good one. I shouldn't use the word partner because I, mean, I don't know exactly how you're structured, but I don't, I don't think your partnerships, I think you own, I think it's, it's the Oakley group and you're David Oakley. So I mean, when I said partner, I just meant, did you bring on employees and did you have, what kind of people did you have helping you in the beginning? Yeah. So I brought on some producers, most of which who were not trained or that I trained. There's a lot of ways to get into real estate. One is through the brokerage avenue. Another avenue is through property management. Another way is, is through being an analyst, um, yeah. an analyst for either a mortgage company that gives mortgages on commercial properties or an analyst for a broker or a brokerage shop. Um, I got in through through brokerage and that was my gate in. And everybody yeah. always asks that question. How do I, you know, how do I get in? Well, I'm interested, as you know, I'm interested in the asset management part, portion of it. And I'm actually mm-hmm. about five sixths of the way through a Cornell University. It's a certificate course, but it is it is full of good information and lots and lots of tools. So I've been very excited about it. But yeah, the, the asset management part interests me a great deal. Yeah. Yeah. And you've told you've said a lot of great things about that uh, Cornell curriculum, which I, I think I think that's a, a good way to, to tap in and learn a lot. Uh, and that's good. I mean, that's that's self help, and it's it's in educating yourself. And gosh, asset management is a huge part of our business. I mean, it's, yeah. it, you can find a deal, you can bank it, you can put it together. But if you can't manage it, and if you can't asset manage it, then uh, you know none of that matters. Yeah, you won't make I mean, any money. It, that's for sure. Right. Yeah. Okay, so we went from one. Yeah, that one first one building, and then. Where, where was the takeoff point? Because I know where you're at now, or at least I've, I've got an idea, and it's not one building. So tell us about how you grew it. Now, if people will think back, if you, they remember back to the lawnmower story, you grew that business too. You started off pushing your lawnmower in your mother's yard, and then you went to a neighbor's yard. Then you went to Walmart and lay away to fancy dancy riding mower, and you went into business. Uh, right. And so it grew from there. We're getting ready to do the same thing on a different scale and with a different product, but the real estate business, he's getting ready to grow it just like he did that lawn business as a very young man. So talk to us how you, what was the process that you, where you went from that first one to where you are today? Yeah. So, so when we opened um, the Oakley group and select my space, January of 2007, worked really hard, was fortunate to attract the attention of a national firm three years later, which merged with the Oakley group. So we had a national platform and Hendricks and partners eventually sold Select My Space, focused on the brokerage business. And, and we had a knock on the door at Hendricks & Partners from a company called Burcadia, which is a Berkshire Hathaway and Jeffrey's company. And, and they purchased Hendricks & Partners. So that really opened up 
my relationship network to a lot of great people from coast to coast and even internationally. And oh, that was just a wonderful thing. So I was with, I ran the album office of Bercadia from 2011 to, to 2020. And that was just incredible. We had a team, we worked our way up to having a team of eight producers. Um, and, and Bruce, you'll want to know this I mean, along the way, I would earn those commissions. And as soon as I had money in my pocket, I'd go find and buy a deal. You know, started out with houses in Homewood, Birmingham Southside, and then it moved to a fourplex or a duplex. And then that went to an eight unit deal. You know, so, so, you know, I would use those fees to go get creative and figure out how to start accumulating properties because every person that I talked to that came through our doors or I talked to on the phone, I would always ask their advice. Like if you could leave me with some wisdom, what would it be? And they all said this. They all said, buy property now. Don't wait. Figure it out. Buy property now. If I could say anything to any of you guys who are out there is you can do it. You can be creative and you'll be, you'd be very surprised at how much money is out there looking for deals. And if you find the deal, the money will find you. If you find the deal, there's money out there that will, that would love to pair up with you and and buy the deal. And you can structure it in in a way that you get equity, sweat equity, where you don't have to really come up with a whole lot of money of your own to start out with. Right. I think getting out there and beating the bush and finding the deal is the, that is the key to getting started. And, uh, I'm kind of in that boat because I've 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 done a couple of little small deals. I'm just a passive investor, but I'm I'm super interested. Uh, as is my son. So uh, I mean, you're I, I watch every move you make and listen to every word you say because I'm I'm in the learn mode. Even at 61, I think learning learning the ropes and especially for somebody, I know a lot of guys in the real estate business, and now I know a lot of guys in the multifamily market, but also know them in, in other parts of the real estate market, the medical office. I will tell you, I would not follow them. I've, I mean, I've, I've got just as much opportunity to talk to them as I do to David Oakley. And I'll go back to what I said in the very beginning of the podcast. Uh, I personally think, and I'm, I'm really good at this, so I do this for a living. My doctorate's in psychology, and I study people hard. Mm-hmm. I, I am absolutely convinced that David Oakley is successful, not because he's smart. I mean, he is smart. He's, you know, he's got a degree. He's got a lot of track record. David Oakley is such because he's a good dude. I mean, he takes care of people. And if you, if you listen to these stories, remember a buddy of his from the past called him up and said, David, you need, you need to buy that building right there across the street. I'll help you. I'll, even to include you coming across and using my admin stuff. You want to copy or you come on over? Let's get you started. Yeah. And the next thing you know, you know, the Oakley group has formed down the road and, um, you know, we're heading down that direction. But to, for all those entrepreneurs out there, I can tell you, I mean, I'm an entrepreneur, not in real estate. You know, mine is in the coaching business. But once you, oh, it's a, it is a little frightful when you step away from that salary job where day in and day out, you know, you're going to get a paycheck to where you've got to go out there and get it. If you, if you want it, you got to go get it. But what I found was when I took that step and opened that door, it wasn't nearly as scary on the other side as what I thought it was going to be. There was a lot of milk and honey to, to be had as long as you're willing to work hard, work That's hard, right. treat people right. Be passionate about what you do. Do the right thing. Take care of people. Be a man of your word or woman of your word. Uh, those are the things that make success stories um, so so fun. Yeah, and, and surround yourself with people who are smarter than you are. I mean, you're, for you're me, that's easy. You, you know, yeah. Well, me too. I mean, look, <laughs> I, I'm seriously. I, I'm I'm not that smart. 
I mean, I, I struggled to make a 23 on my ACT. Well, I think Ronald Reagan actually quoted, quoted that at some point. He said, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a movie actor. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I, I surround myself with smart people, and that's how I'm running this country when he was, when he was the president. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I guess you could say I'm more street smart than I am book smart. And um, Yeah, I think, you got, I think you got both because you certainly, you know, the, the humble beginnings you talked about in the beginning where you were vacuuming cars as a very young kid to help mom out with the bills – uh, all the way to today, I mean, you're a hard worker. You, you've been a hard worker for a long time, and I think I think you went and got the academics at, at you know in the, at school here in Birmingham, at Hanford, and you've got that. So you've got that. What what if you don't mind me asking, what kind of grades did you make? Well, I was always what you call an overachiever. I had to study longer, I had to put more time in. Uh, but my mom taught this class to every seventh grader at Hibbett School, which was a Zig Ziglar curriculum. The I can class. Well, so like if that. you said I, if you said I can't in my house, you, the bell might, might get tanned. Might get yeah. tanned. So anyway, um, I I, uh, I had a three point eight at Sanford GPA. Okay, um, so I, I, I worked hard to get that. I mean, there were a lot of lot of Saturdays and Sundays that that I spent in the library that I wanted to spend over at Bryant Denny Stadium or down to the plains of Auburn. Or, you know, we 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 called Sanford the the suitcase university. Everybody packed up on the weekends and went yeah. out of town. Yeah, MTSU was the same way. But again, for for you young entrepreneurs out there, so in the beginning, he put his nose on the grindstone and he did. He made the right decision, which wasn't fun. It had been fun to go to the ball game, but he went to the library. And I can tell you now, he's having fun because I know a little bit about his lifestyle. I know where he was this weekend, and so all <laughs> of those, all of that hard work, academically and business wise. It's paying off now. And David, he's a young man. He's got a long way to go, and it's only going to get bigger. Uh, so, all right, so con- continue our story from when you were started making real money. Well, so, I, I, you know, I brokered for a long time. I mean, if you think about it, when I graduated in 2000, I was an intern in 2002 and graduated in 2003. And so I brokered all the way up through December of 2020. So almost a 20-year run in the in the brokerage space and that's a lot of time as a broker it's 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 hard work to be competitive we, we did you know a lot of transactions uh throughout the southeast uh, obviously with a team and and had a, a lot of wonderful people that i got to work with come alongside us over the years um, but as i said you know on the side and, and certainly arm's length we would never compete with clients um i would buy properties that were off market or, or not listed and started to, get to develop and accumulate a little bit of a portfolio. So by 2020 COVID hit and, you know, I had a young family and, and it was time to sort of make a decision. Do I want to continue to broker or should I push off and do this thing that I'm really passionate about, which is ownership. Uh, I had a great brokerage business, making good money. I enjoyed it. I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you I was a little bit burned out because it'll do that to you. Sure. Especially if you're competitive like we were. So I, I made the leap, you know, and, and, and the leap was towards, you know, back to the Oakley group full time instead of, instead of a, a real part-time gig at that time, full time. And so we, we decided to do that. We, we did that and we focused on two investment vehicles. One is buying value add existing properties within a four to five hour drive of our office. 
And those deal sizes could range anywhere from five million to fifty million. Our average deals probably around fifteen, twenty million. We see that number going up next year. And and we bought that first year, um, twenty twenty one, we bought eight deals, nine deals, uh, existing deals. And then our second lane of investment that we created was this build to rent development, new construction. And I just I've always wanted to learn more about new construction development, and we're very fortunate to to add uh, in, in a JV partner with Adveneer, based out of Miami, Florida, who's a longtime longtime friend of mine, and and Steve Vaquito. And Adveneer was launched and founded in 1996. They own about 15,000 units and self manage, and uh, together we formed Adveneer Oakley to specialize in building build to rent. SFR, BTR communities, typically, you know, in the range of 250 to 350 units, all on one parcel, we call it horizontal multifamily, managed by Adveneer. And we have a goal to build and acquire uh, 10,000 units by 2026. So we've got our work cut out for us. We've got about 2,000 units um, in our near-term pipeline and about 5,000 sort of in the next two to three year window. So we're, we're on target. No pun intended. No pun intended. We're on target. <laughs> and, and Bruce, every bit of coaching you've given me um, has been very helpful. I really appreciate that. And thank you. Um, and we've built a great team. You know, we've got a, a team of probably 15 dedicated people towards this build to rent um, Avenue Oakley JV. And then our core team here at, at Oakley group is, is a, a group of six Man, we love what we do. I mean, it's you know we love investors. We you know we we raise capital. We syndicate deals. We're very selective. Um, we're we're in it for the long haul, and um, just very fortunate that you all are. that hard work is is paying off. Well, you're fortunate. You know, one way that you can determine the future is you can make it happen, and that is exactly what you do. And you can be as humble as you want, but you're good at what you do. You've got this guy. I never I never met your mom. Uh, and I don't know what was your mom, dad, or grandparent. Somebody instilled some be a good person in you because you've also just mentioned for the third or fourth time that you've partnered with Avenir and it was nobody of yours. Well, isn't that mm-hmm. surprising, guys? So so far, every person he's done business with is a friend, and I can tell you now, I've seen him in a deal with a broker that used to work with or for him in the brokerage house. Same one. And sometimes I would imagine that's not going to be a great relationship, but I, I've, I've not found one yet that is not a huge fan of David Oakley. And this is, again, the, if, if you want to be successful, I don't care what you're doing, treat people right. Be a good person. Do the right thing. Take care of people. Show your passion. And you've also got to be, you got to have some, you got to have some intestinal fortitude because you've taken some big risk along the way. And now there's, yeah. a, lo- there's a lot of zeros behind the decisions you're making. You have families now, 15 of them, I think you just mentioned, but mm-hmm. that you're, that you're, you know, you're supporting 15 families with these decisions that you make, including yours. David's got a young, beautiful young family. I want to make sure that the audience understands the differences of what you're doing, though. So one side of his business is very traditional. It's apartment complexes, like, like we've all seen, you know, a two story, three, whatever they are, and, you know, all outside entry doors, that kind of thing, just a traditional apartment complex. And that's what got me interested in multifamily is that that model. But then I went on a trip with David to to show a potential client this build to rent neighborhood. And guys, 
I was completely floored. It is the most beautiful neighborhood. There's he's already built one or two of them, right? I know you got one in Huntsville, I think. Is there yeah, two? Yeah, we've or? got we've got uh, we've got one completed and two more have now broken ground. Okay, with with a, with a a third soon to start in uh, in Greenville. Yeah, I mean, if, if if you ever seen the Truman Show, that movie with Jim Carrey in it, or you've been down to to, to the Gulf Coast to Seaside in 30A. It, the carriage house look, what these houses are. And there's a great deal of money that goes into each one of these homes. They have backyards. They're beautiful constructed homes. They have garages. They have a conference center that goes with them, pool, a conference area where you can have like a picnic and grills. And just, it's just really high-end, beautiful. I, I would live there. I tell you, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be a renter today. But if I when I when I decide I'm going to rent, that would I would love to move into one of these one of these spaces because they're absolutely gorgeous. Well, that yeah, that's a that's that's a place to really give the Niquette architecture team a big shout out because they just do a, a great job. And Lewis yeah. Niquette's been a friend of mine for a long time. There you go again, a friend. There you go. And yep. um, you know, and when we first had brought this idea back home from Phoenix, I saw this concept out there. You know, 2016. I go, man, this would crush it in the southeast. I took it to Lewis, and he goes. He goes, man, I'm in. I go, well, I want you to be our exclusive architect. And his team has just been fabulous to work with. Yeah. Well, the I'm, the product, I mean, I didn't, I'm not an architect, and I didn't see him put it together, but I have seen the finished product. And the brochure, you also have a brochure. In the show notes, guys, I'll put up as much information as David wants me to put up so that you can see what he does, how he does it. And there, there's a brochure that's got, you know, it's colored pictures, and it is it, when I saw it, it floored me because it was not what, in my mind, that is not what I, I was thinking mm-hmm. the product was going to look like. And they're just, they're just over the top beautiful. And so you're, you're shooting toward, the number's gone up because the last time we talked, it was 8,000 doors. Now you're looking for 10,000 doors. Yeah. Yeah. We, we kind of keep moving the, uh, the goalposts. You know, that's what I love about this team is it's a lot, a lot of, a lot of gas and a lot of uh, confidence in what we're building. And we may touch on some of that here. Um, when we talk about the future of real estate and kind of where we are in, in the housing needs. Well, tell me about before we go there, because I, I do want you to, to talk to us about what you think the future of housing looks like in America. I know right right now we're in a little bit of a mess. COVID didn't help, low supply. And now we've got Mr. Potato Head in the White House and he's killing us with inflation. Rates have gone way up, of course, and everything we buy has gone way up. And for many, many, especially young couples uh, or seniors that are trying to move into a home, it's a big challenge. What are your challenges now in terms of getting your structures built? You know, the biggest challenge right now we're, we're facing is just um, the banks have pulled back some. And so that's where, again, it's just critical that you build those relationships over the years and you borrow money, you pay it back, you pay on time, if not early. You take those bankers up uh, on those lunches and those coffee meetings. That's the power of the relationship. So, you know, the banks have kind of pulled in and become a little bit more conservative here lately, which, um, you know, that's the hardest part. Fortunately, we've had good success in continuing to get term sheets and, and have the financeability to keep doing what we're doing. The equity is there. We've, Got a great following of investors, homegrown, organic, non-institutional. Avenir has the same type of program. They've got about 1,500 investors. Uh, we've got about 200 right now. And all those have come you know, sort, of, sort of organically. We don't do 
you know, big conferences or open house to the public. It's very much an organic list of investors that we've, that we've grown over the last 24 months. It's friends. Yeah. It's friends and family. Yeah. So there's a need for our product with, with, you know, the financing, if we can get the financing in place, uh, we've got the equity. We think we've got a great product. Uh, Construction prices are coming down a little bit, primarily in lumber. We feel like home builders, as they start to slow down, which they have, and this being, um, this is October 10th for you guys who are listening of 2022. We're seeing a, a big slowdown in, in the home builder, home builder sector, which is freeing up some supplies and labor for that, for that matter, which is very important. Yeah. I think that, that that's what I was thinking you would compete with is one material to build the homes and then also people to build them because those are in short supply. I know I'd, I read something the other day where the average air conditioner technician in America today is 53 years old, average age of an air conditioning technician. And I'm sure the other trades are not far behind. I know every time I, I hire a tradesman to come to my house, he's my age. Yeah, um, and he's probably making probably billion out at 100 bucks an hour. Yeah, they're making, he's, he's they're making plenty. Making, you know, 40, 50 bucks an hour. Yeah, that's, that's the case. So uh, have any of your deals stopped because you can't get supplies or is it just a slow grind? It's a slow grind. You know, we, we really try to plan ahead for it. We had windows were back ordered for, for a little while. So we, we shifted and, and found another supplier, uh, thermostats, hot water heaters, l- little things, you know, yeah. those are some bigger things, but even little things like, you know, electrical outlets, just little, little things. But, you know, you work with a good GC and a GC who's got volume like we work with Capstone Building Corp and, and they have enough volume and relationships. Again, there's a relationship word that they got pull with suppliers and we jump on that bandwagon when we hire groups like that and we get yeah. the benefit of having some, some bench strength. I went on a visit with you to, you were, you were kind of interviewing a builder. I think that's what we were doing. And he mentioned that they had just bought either 50 or 500,000 windows. I forget, it was a whole whole yeah. bunch of windows that he was going to all the same size, but you know, they were, they were preparing for the future. So when they, when they got the, when they got the job to start building, they had the, the stuff they need, but yeah, that's the kind of partners you need. Right. For sure. And the banking institutions, do you have friends there or are they just business associates? Oh no, absolutely. A lot of friends there, yeah. you know, bankers become your friends. You know, they're, yeah. they're your, they're really your partners. So that's important. Really yeah. important. I, I, I said that to make sure everybody understood we We've been through about 10 different situations here. And in every situation you've ran into, you call them a friend. And by the way, I, I don't think you have many people you meet that don't become friends if you choose for them to be be friends, because that's that's just the way you affect people. I know you, you had that effect on me. When I, you know, we, we all read people about the first 30 seconds you're with somebody. And you when you're reading somebody, you're either deciding, OK, I like this dude or I don't like this dude. Right. Uh, and I, I got, I mean, for me, it was overwhelming. I, I went, and, and in fact, the, the way I met, uh, I'll tell you all, this is a neat story. So I do a little bit of flying. I'm a retired fighter pilot. So I do a little bit of flying as kind of a, a third job that I do, but not, I don't have enough time to do a lot of it, but I do some. Anyway, I'm sitting in this jet with a friend of David's and I don't know that. I don't know David. And so I'm talking to this friend of mine, his name's Mark. And so I go, well, what, what do you do? You know, we're just up there sitting, got headsets on, we're flying somewhere. So we got... Couple hours just shooting the breeze. I go, yeah. What do you what do you do besides fly? And I've been reading at this point. I have been reading everything I could get my hands on about multifamily. I've been listening to other. I mentioned some big groups 
uh, down in, uh, in in the Florida area that I've been following. Uh, so I've just been engrossed in multifamily and kind of fascinated with it and really interested in it. And no kidding. Mark looks over and he goes, oh, I'm in a multifamily apartment business. I'm like, you got to be kidding. Almost turning the airplane upside down. And from that, hmm. from that, Mark said, I got a guy I want you to meet. So here goes friendships again, because at this time I didn't know David Oakley, but I, I was friends with Mark. And he goes, hey, I got a guy. I got a guy I want you to meet. And he called David uh, and then connected us. I just want to tell you all what kind of person David Oakley is. He doesn't know me from Adam, I don't think. I called him out of the blue and said, hey, can I buy you a beer? And he said, absolutely. Of course, he knew that Mark connected me. So I guess there was some some letter of approval there, some stamp of approval from Mark. You know, the first time we met, I went over to his office. They're, out, they're absolutely gorgeous. His, his headquarters here in Birmingham is just over the top, beautiful. You know, kind of everything you touch is really, really high end and top top of the line. But then we walked next door and spent the better part of an hour together. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. And in the first 30 seconds, I said to myself, you know, I don't know if I can do anything with this guy in terms of business, but I like him because, you you know, you're a good dude. And that's a, that's a big part of why every everything you've mentioned on this podcast, you're doing business with friends. Um, I mean, they're bankers, they're builders, they're other developers like Avenir, they're your brokerage buddies. But they're all they're all friends. They 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 want to do business with you because you do business with people that you know, like, and trust. And that's the yeah. label. I mean, I guarantee you, if if anybody out there asks a question of somebody if they know David Oakley, just ask them. Go, what do you think about him? I guarantee you what you're going to hear. I know him. I like him, and I trust him. Uh, he's a good dude, and that's 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 the key behind your success. I get not taking. Well, away I appreciate from, you saying that. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I'm not taking away from the other you know, from the other attributes that you got are, that are super and being smart, but, um, you know, being a good person, that'll take you a long way and loving what you do. And I remember we went, when we went to this, um, you know, I've been to a couple of meetings with David. So when I went to this one where we were kind of pitching the, the build, uh, build to rent home, that this, this, uh, neighborhoods, if you will, David introduced me as Bruce Bright, a guy that loves real estate. And I just, <laughs> I had a smile on him. I was like, you, you damn straight I did. Uh, so uh, re- really special. Okay, so we've gone now from struggling, just like everybody in America is, trying to get the, the parts and pieces and the labor that you need. You do it very well, by the way, but I know it's a fight every day trying to make sure that your projects stay on, on uh, task for your investors so let me ask you, this is a big loaded question. You can answer it ever how you will, but I want you to tell our listeners, what, what do you think the future of housing is in America? Oh man, that's a, it's big. That's a big question. And, and it's bigger than me. I'll tell you that, but, but I'll, I'll tell you that, you know, my thoughts on that are, are, are these. Um, one is we have an affordability crisis issue, the homeless population and the need for housing is tremendous and, and ever increasing. We have a need for, I think it was uh, another three to four million new units by 2030, I think was the stat that I heard and read. And it depends on where you go, where you, that might, that might shift a little bit either in either direction. Some of that's due to immigration, which is a whole other topic, but, and some of that is just household formation and, and need based. But there is an affordability issue for, for so long developers have built product and because product has cost so much to build and because land has cost so much to buy, all of a sudden your basis is so high that your rents have to be a certain level for the deal to be profitable. And so, you know, Ben Carson, when he was in office uh, in HUD, 
you know, he, he put in a lot of new initiatives. Um, you saw, you saw a big fire light around the mobile home parks and institutions jump into that space. You're hearing a lot more about modular. You're seeing a lot of capital flooding into that market, uh, into the design and, and new technologies around building housing. It's, for example, sheetrock. I mean, sheetrock's been a wall for as long as I can remember, you know, going at least going mm-hmm. back into the historic properties that, that have, you know, sort of the cement wall, lead-based paint, you know. Yeah. So, so what's going to replace sheetrock? Something will come out soon that changes that game. But it's been that's it's dominated for so long. So you're going to start seeing new products come out that are more affordable, that are gives people more optionality. I think modular is a big part of our future. Robotics and and robotics and AI re- replacing human labor is is a real thing. It's already happening. Yeah, that will continue. So so finding ways to reduce the cost of and to bring to bring affordable housing to the to the market is really critical and and one way of doing that is just lowering the cost yeah another another way we'll see it happen is municipalities are going to have to let their guard down you know for so long municipalities have said no there's been a big case of nimbyism which stands for not in my backyard and you mean with modular well with apartments in general with rentals in general Okay. With anything rental, elected officials get elected by the public, typically those who have influence or those who have their kids in the best dressed schools, if you will, um, with the most the highest paid teachers. And so test scores are really important. And unfortunately, it's it's become um, a theory that that municipalities with multifamily rentals tend to bring test scores down for those children who live there, which I think is completely ignorant. Yeah. Same. So you're going to start seeing, you know, higher level government step in and new policies um, come to fruition that allows for more rental property and and variances and entitlement um, entitlements uh, coming to areas that in the past have shut down and said no and voted down apartment rentals and development in, in certain municipalities because because that that's been that's been a problem, yeah. and um, that that's going to have to change. What do you think about you know in the Florida areas specifically, maybe Texas coast? But in my lifetime, I've seen Florida get devastated a number of times, and it's terrible. These people, I mean, they're de- right now down in the Fort Myers area. You know where Ian went across. There's nothing there. It's just dirt now. Lots of flooding and all that. But do you think there will be a, a change in building requirements in those areas where they have to be? Tornado proof. I know I lived in Okinawa, Japan, and then mainland Japan for a long time in the military. And our houses there were built where when a typhoon came, you just go home. Everybody goes home and goes in, closes the door, and you watch it go over the top of you. But the buildings were all concrete, you know, big, thick concrete walls. So I I don't know. Do you think we'll ever see uh, Florida and the Gulf Coast and possibly, like I said, the coast of Texas? Do you think we're ever going to see building requirements changed such that they've got to be some kind of tornado proof? Yeah, I think there it's, it's constantly evolving. And as, as new products come out and technology continues to advance, there's going to be things that come out that are, are more durable than concrete, maybe even more durable than steel. There, there will be things that come out that will blow your mind. And I've, I've got a little bit of insight 
from a friend of mine who is real close to finishing up his patents for a certain type of material that um, would be pretty epic and a game changer in the construction material space. That something that that could serve as your roof as as well as your interior wall. Same product. Oh wow! So you'll yeah. So the answer is yes. I think that you know th- there will be a constant evolution and, and I mean those those poor people and. Puerto Rico continue to get pounded. I mean, there's yep. got to be Same a solution there. for shelter that doesn't get swept away, you know, by catastrophic, you know, storm events. Yep. Yeah, I know the Puerto Rico and even down into the British Virgin Islands, they've been devastated a couple times in my lifetime, maybe more than that. But um, since I've been vacationing there, you know, just takes everything they have and turns it into dirt and then they have to rebuild. But when they rebuild, at least what I've, so far they've rebuilt back the same way. That may be just the availability of laborers and materials. They don't, they don't have other materials that they can build something stronger. But I know I wish I would love to see something in the in these areas where they require the builders to build something strong enough to withstand some some level of wind and rain because uh, it's just devastating to see them. And I feel I feel for those folks down there in Florida. I think North Carolina got hit a little bit with floods. They didn't. Get, I think about it, it had died down, but. Puerto Rico and Florida got, you know, got hammered by this thing. So God bless those folks that are dealing with that currently there. I mean, they're right now they're dealing with no homes. Right. Yeah. And you, you've seen a lot of new product come out and, and there are requirements for tie downs and wind speeds on windows and, you know, certain roof structures. So, so, you know, that does exist. Yeah. And there's a cost to it. Yeah. There's a cost to it. But unfortunately there's still a lot of older homes that, you know, 1940s, fifties that, that are not up to those standards, but right. most new construction have a pretty, pretty high standard to withstand storms like that. And, and you know what? Insurance companies are really stepping in and they, they have, they, they have quite the stick because their, their rates have gone up sometimes three, 400% in the last few years. And it's, it's becoming a real thing where they actually will have some pull in deciding, you know, I'm sure there are lobbyists on their behalf yeah. who who, who you build, push you build, for certain you standards because they, they they they've lost a lot of money and they're, and we're really starting to feel the the effects of that, particularly in those Florida markets and coastal markets. Yeah, yeah, the airplane market is is very similar. In that is kind of interest rates have, or insurance rates have kind of doubled, and it's because they've lost a lot of money, so they they're having to make up for it. Right. Close us out here, if you would, with this the last little bit on what you think people should be thinking about in terms of the future of housing and what to expect and maybe how soon to expect it? Well, you know, we'll, we'll find out a whole lot more. I definitely think that we are in a recession right now. Some people say, you know, if we're in a recession, we're, we're in a recession. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how the Fed responds to the next rate hike. I think it will go up as they predicted. It'll also be interesting to see how the market responds to the midterm elections here in November Stock market's been up and down. Another reason um, why I say real estate's great right now, safe, steady, bricks and sticks. I'm a big advocate there when it comes to a a frothy and volatile market. I think I'm I'm a big advocate for multifamily right now. Yes, I'm a little biased, but, but, you know, I, I think that people will always need a place to live. Always go back to that. There's a shortage of housing. Yes, interest rates have gone up. Cap rates are, are adjusting. So 
where we were at, say, a four to four and a half cap this time last year, we're now at about a five to five and a half cap market. You know, interest rates are, are, are up, but many of you on this call, maybe your parents, maybe someone older than you will tell you that a 6% interest rate is still very low compared to historical times when when things were at 15 and 20%. Yeah, I can remember so that. Relatively speaking, interest rates are still extremely low. There's still great deals out there, um, a lot of opportunity. There's a need for housing. The music will not stop. That's what I love about about apartments. I mean, this is not office space. This is not mini storage, although I, I'm a pretty big fan on industrial mini storage. Not so much on office, it's just my opinion, but people will always need a place to lay their head at night. Even if we go straight up digital and Meta does their crazy robotics and you're wearing you know, goggles to the bathroom, you're still going to have to have a place still to lay your head because yeah, your, your, your heartbeat's going to be beating and you, you, you've got you've to ingest food and you have to live. That's right. And that, that needs to happen inside of, a, inside of four walls and a, and a roof. And in, in, so, in terms of moving, um, there's still a need to move because people have to move sometimes for jobs, sometimes for school, sometimes the military. So they're still moving. Going. It might have slowed some, but you're right. The, the, the multifamily, it's, it's not going to go away. And there's, there's always a need for somebody, for somebody to have a home. Yeah, and I'll say this um, on the behalf of the need. You know, with interest rates where they are, it, it is harder to buy a home. And for those of you who, you know, are younger and maybe you don't have kids yet, maybe you're a single, young married couple, maybe small child, not in school yet, it's hard to buy that first home. I mean, with a down payment of 10, 20, 30 uh, percent at a rate of, you know, six, six and a half percent on a 30 year mortgage, that's not cheap. You know, you're, you're looking at two to three thousand dollars a month when you when you count taxes, insurance, and, you know, repairs and maintenance. Upkeep, yeah. Upkeep. So it's hard to get into a home right now. And so what we what we love about it is is that we, we can, the multifamily side can come in at a time like this and house those people, maybe while the single family market adjusts. Settles down. And, um, and settles down. And, and quite frankly, more and more people are moving jobs more frequently these days. Technology's done that. I think the average 30-year-old changes jobs, what, four times before he, turn, before he or she turns 30? Yeah, that's probably right. That's a lot of moving. And yeah. so, you know, there's been a major shift in this, just the mentality. It used to be, you know, owning a home was the American dream. Well, that, that's becoming more of a old love story, you know. Uh, sound, it sounded great, but more and more people are shifting towards rental just like Netflix, like you have a Netflix and Prime account. It's a subscription-based deal. And more and more people, if I asked you, Bruce, how many subscriptions do you have monthly? If you actually added it up, it's probably more than you, it's more more than than you think. Yeah. Right. For sure. And so rent will just be another one. Yeah. But I think the other end of the spectrum, you know, empty nesters, uh, folks that have, you know, all their children are gone and now they want to travel a lot and maybe go see grandkids and that sort of thing. The rentals, especially the ones that you, you provide, really are a really nice options. So kind of both ends. And then I think there's a lot of people in the middle, too, that just don't want to buy because they want to be able to relocate. Uh, they may want to move quicker, you know, more. So if they, you know, just pick up and you go get another rental. And like you said, it's just another, it's just another subscription you got. Yeah. Whenever you, whenever you, you put, if this is a multiple choice question and I said, hey, do you want to live in a, if you want to live in an apartment, 
Okay, let's establish that. So you're going to live in an apartment. You're thinking about it. You can circle A and live in a three-story walk-up, park your car in a parking lot, take your groceries up to the second or third floor, hear people below stomping around in the middle of the night with their dog barking, or hear somebody on the other side of the wall, walk out to your car in the rain, whatever. That's A. Or B is one-story, predominantly one-story, 15 and a half foot ceilings, four walls of freedom, private backyard, fenced in backyard, pocket parks all around you with walking sidewalks. I mean, what are you going to choose? You're gonna, people are going to circle B all day that's long. That's easy. Yeah, that's easy. And like I said, uh, if, if you want us to, we'll put that pictures or that brochure up on the on the show notes because until, until you see it, you can't imagine. I mean, j- just think if you've been to the 30A area down in uh, kind of Santa Rosa Beach and Seaside in that area. That's what these that's what these homes look like, and they're and it's a whole neighborhood. So you go in twenty acres at a time, forty acres at a time, and building that's huge right. neighborhoods. Yeah. So not only do you have a nice home, you're guaranteed that your neighbor to your left and right has an equally nice home. So you're not you know where sometimes if if you have places um, where you buy a home, you may have a home next to you that you're not happy with, or uh, you know a neighbor that doesn't keep his house nice. But these are beautiful. I mean, just gorgeous homes. The whole neighborhood is designed uh, as, a, as a rental neighborhood. It's got great facilities that, uh, you know, you can use pools and the banquet rooms and, you know, grilling spots and picnic tables and sidewalk. It's just a, there's a beautiful neighborhood. In fact, I was with you on a trip where one of the ladies that was one of the potential sellers of the land said, save me a house because when you do this, I'm yeah. going to move into that house. Yeah, I'm going to move into one of your rental homes because they're so nice. Yeah. I mean, what's, yeah, it's been, it's, it's, it's a beautiful, they're beautiful neighborhoods. Well, everything, you know, I mentioned this a few minutes ago, but everything that you put your hands on is really high end, top quality. Uh, and that's why people want to live where you build or where you own. And you also take care of, you know, you do have some traditional properties uh, and apartments and they're the same thing because of the way you manage them. Uh, they're a pleasure to live there and people want to live in your properties, especially these ones that name. There's a difference. I mean, these, this second, this, this built to rent neighborhood that we're talking about, guys, I'm telling you, it's just, it's over the top. All right. Well, David, I want to tell you, thank you so much for your time. You're a dear friend, a, a great businessman. I didn't mention a great husband and dad, got a beautiful young family. And I just appreciate now, you know, calling you a friend because I can, I can lean on you for advice and knowledge and anything to do with, with multifamily real estate and probably some other stuff too. But so much appreciate you coming on the, the Bruce Bright Breakdown today and sharing a little bit of your world with us. No, thank you, Dr. Bruce. Uh, great, great seeing you and uh, always a pleasure. And, and I hope that what little bit we got to talk helps whoever listened and in, uh, in some small way. And just remember, I'll drop this, never underestimate the power of an introduction. That's for our next series, Bruce. Okay. The power of an introduction can open up so much. And um, and if you're thinking about introducing somebody to a friend, just do it. Don't think about it. Just do it. Don't overthink it. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again, Bruce. And um, have a great evening. And um, we'll connect soon. All right, brother. Thank you for your time. All right. Take care. Guys, that's the Bruce Bright Breakdown. Thanks. See y'all.